0: Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another JavaScript Jabber. If it sounds a little bit different, it's because we're doing this live. We're at Microsoft Connect, and I'm here with Amanda Silver.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: It's going well. Now, you were in the keynote. You did your little spiel with the uh, Visual Studio Live Share, which was really cool. Yep, And I have been told that you are the TypeScript slash future of JavaScript guru.
1: (laughs) Well, I've been working on TypeScript and JavaScript for a long time. Uh, My team actually spans the Visual Studio core platform, VS Code Mm -hmm. itself, the TypeScript and JavaScript language service that kind of power the experience in both Mm -hmm. Visual Studio and VS Code, as well as like the Chakra uh, JavaScript engine that's part of Microsoft. Nice. Yeah. So we work on a lot of different JavaScript-y things.
0: Awesome, and we've talked about a lot of these things over the years yeah. with Microsoft folks. Um, but I think one of the things that's really interesting that maybe we should just start with is is TypeScript. Yeah. Um, now I run an Angular podcast and a JavaScript podcast, yep. and so you know TypeScript's kind of been adopted by the Angular core team. Yeah. And so I've played with it, and I like it. Um, what's always interesting to me is you know what's new in TypeScript because it seems like your team tries to sort of mirror, reflect what's coming in JavaScript. Right, the new features, the new um, standards that they yep. come out with.
1: Yep, yeah. So, so I mean, I would say that we have a multi-pronged strategy for like how we think about what new language features should come to TypeScript. Um, obviously, you know, we we need to follow the standard very closely. Mm-hmm. And we decided very early in TypeScript's, you know, inception that TypeScript would always be a superset of the JavaScript right. standard, um, ECMAScript. Mm-hmm. And... And so what that meant, especially since the ECMAScript standard continues to evolve, is that we've had to stay very, very involved in the future of the ECMAScript standard. And actually one of the editors, or the editor at the moment, of the ECMAScript standard, uh, Brian Turleson, is also on my team. Um, and so he goes to the TC39 meetings every, you know, what, mm-hmm. two months? Um, and one of, one of his jobs is to make sure that, you know, there's some the JavaScript standard doesn't go in a completely different direction than the TypeScript uh, programming language and that uh-huh. the two kind of, you know, as much as we can, uh, kind of keep them aligned. Um, but you know, because we made that commitment that TypeScript will always be a superset of the ECMAScript standard, uh, we need to make sure that there's not something that's introduced in either right. language that wouldn't eventually be adopted by the other. So that's that's one input. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, you know, our original mission with TypeScript was actually to make it possible for um, JavaScript coders to kind of write larger scale applications mm-hmm. and at the time that TypeScript kind of came into being, which was like 2010 or something like that, that was about the time that Microsoft was kind of um, uh, completing our first major web Based product, which mm-hmm. was SharePoint, right. uh, and we were just at the beginning of of starting to do the Office three six five kind of transitions, where we took you know very large code bases of Word and Excel right. and brought them into browser contexts, uh-huh. right? Um, and so with that, we basically had a situation where the Office team was kind of coming to us at the, as the you know programming and mm-hmm. languages and tools team at Microsoft and said like, we don't know how to deal with JavaScript that's this large. Uh, right. What do you recommend? And they had some various different solutions, some of which are actually still in use today. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Backbone, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I mean they have internal tools that have never right. been released publicly. Oh, interesting. Um, that do things like types that that TypeScript do, like type checking and things like mm-hmm. that, but also minification and other right. things like that. Um, tier-splitting in, in some cases, just a whole tier bunch of splitting? different, like um, what, what executes on the server side and what executes oh, okay. on the client side, um, and so we met with them and we kind of tried to figure out like what would be a roadmap that would allow us to have a tool set that the Office team could take a dependency on, um, but also make sure that we weren't building just tools for Office, that they were something that the broader JavaScript community would use as well. Right. And so that's kind of where TypeScript came from originally,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but then when we launched it, which was 2012, so it actually took quite a while for us oh, to kind wow. of, you know, iterate on it and get mm-hmm. it to the point where it was ready to be uh, publicly consumed, <laughs> uh, we really didn't know whether or not it would be embraced by the JavaScript community. Right. You know, at that time, mm-hmm. uh, Microsoft didn't exactly have the best uh, reputation in the JavaScript that's community, true. right? Um, and so I think we were um, very careful about how we how we brought it out, um, and we really wanted to make sure that if it was going to be adopted, that it was you know community mm-hmm. support and community strength that kind of you know gotcha. drove it as opposed mm-hmm. to um, some kind of you know Microsoft marketing push.
0: Right. That makes sense, and and it feels like you've really done that, right? I mean, a lot of the tools. Uh, the way that the TypeScript virtual machine integrates with things like Visual Studio Code, but other systems as well, um, and then just all of the feedback that you get as you work through TypeScript or even just JavaScript with the TypeScript engine running,
1: yeah,
0: has has really enhanced the way a lot of people build their apps.
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's been a really interesting, you know, five years or so because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what's ha- you know uh, what's happened is we've. Been learning how to build better tools for mm-hmm. JavaScript developers over time, right. and uh, when we started TypeScript, we had actually just moved our JavaScript language service in Visual Studio from a—I um, I don't even know how to describe it. It was—it was—it um, um, was—it was a semi-compiled based language system. Mm -hmm. And then at that time we had actually moved to a partial execution based language system where we actually executed part of your program to build up a runtime model Mm -hmm. of what your program was describing and then we would power the language services like IntelliSense and Squiggles and things like that based on that. And we did that for a couple of years and then as we started to develop TypeScript and build out the language service for TypeScript, we started to realize that the TypeScript language service could actually be a more effective language service Mm -hmm. for JavaScript than our current execution-based one. And so for about a year or so, uh, we actually were running them both internally, and what we wanted to do was to kind of see uh, at what point would it be embraced by users, right. and they would prefer the TypeScript-based language service over the JavaScript execution-based language service. Mm-hmm. I know this is like geeky compiler no, stuff, but it,
0: it's okay. fascinating, and <laughs> and we, we go deep on the show. So okay, it's, it's
1: cool, good. cool. Well, yeah. So I don't, I did, I I can go super deep on, on no. uh, compilers and languages because I've been working on it for like sixteen years. Um. Uh, so anyway, so we tested that for a year or mm-hmm. so and over time we basically turned that on um, as the default in Visual Studio and then when VS Code came out it actually has been the, the basis for it uh, from the beginning mm-hmm. was the kind of um, emerging language service. And then uh, only in the last year did we take make the TypeScript language service, uh, the JavaScript-based language service fully. Wow. Yeah. So so like the <laughs> I would say that the JavaScript tooling and TypeScript tooling has really come a long way over yeah. the last five years. And and I think it's a pretty, you know, good experience now. Mm-hmm. And especially now that we have VS Code, right. which is a pretty, you know, great editor.
0: Yeah, it's really uh, nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you when you couple that with the TypeScript-based language service, right. plus the integrated debugger for, mm-hmm. you know, Node, and for Chrome and other things yep. like that, um, and of course, you know, uh, other runtimes like Edge uh, yep. and Chakra. Um, then uh, it's a it's a pretty good end-to-end JavaScript coding experience.
0: I agree. I completely yeah. agree. So one thing that I'm curious about is, is we dive into this because. Um, and just to give you an example, when I was learning to code professionally, I kind of came up on Ruby on Rails, right, yeah. and you know I always thought of maths as kind of the consummate Ruby developer, and then all of my dreams and hopes were dashed because he 's a C developer, right? He built Ruby in C mm-hmm. and and so I wonder, you know if you 're building this engine for JavaScript or Typescript, I mean what are you working in day in day out?
1: So, uh, so TypeScript itself is written in TypeScript, and okay. that has always been a, a necessity. Actually, Anders Heilsberg mm-hmm. has kind of demanded that from day one. And nice. Steve Luco was also mm-hmm. one of the kind of original inventors and implementers mm-hmm. of okay. TypeScript. He he actually at the time that he started working on TypeScript, he was also working on the Chakra uh, runtime, mm-hmm. and so he also demanded that. Like he wanted yeah. to, you know, make sure that the compiler was a l- workload for the Chakra runtime. Gotcha. Um, so that's been kind of how it's been implemented from day one. Chakra, on the other hand, is is in essence, it's a system component of Windows, mm-hmm. and uh, so so really a lot of the work in Chakra itself is r- compiling down to machine language right. that works well on various different you know chip architectures. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that a lot of that's written in C and C Right. Right. Um, but, you know, that said, there are some higher level abstractions in the language that are more appropriate to be written in, in JavaScript and kind mm-hmm. of they then get compiled down to to C and C++.
0: Right. So one of the things, if depending on who you talk to, so there's some people that, you know, they love JavaScript. Everything about JavaScript is the way that it ought to be, right? Yeah. And then um, it seems like there's this diaspora of JavaScript where people are writing... In backend languages that aren't JavaScript, and so there are things about JavaScript that they find kind of quirky.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, are some of those things hard to build into a system like Typescript or JavaScript engine?
1: Uh, quirky. So So there are many aspects of JavaScript that are quirky. Um, you know, in terms of, I like your description of diaspora uh-huh. because, in a lot of ways, I would say that that there are people who love JavaScript because it's the best functional programming language in the world. Mm-hmm. They think, yeah, or it's the best object-oriented programming language in the world, or you know, they just like scripting languages right. and they, you know, they like that aspect of it. And I would say that each one of those different constituencies have a kind of different lens mm-hmm. on what JavaScript really is, right? right? Um, so. So I definitely see that, mm-hmm. um, and and you know even just thinking about the JavaScript, the Good Parts book, yeah. like that was the the beginning of kind of defining what a subset of JavaScript was, right? right? And then the the strict mode came out, and mm-hmm. that was another you yep. know chapter of what you know good JavaScript kind of looked like. Um, and in a way, TypeScript is also another you know uh, it's a JavaScript linter in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, So I definitely think that there are kind of like different faces of JavaScript. Um, And then there, of course, there are those, those things that compile down to JavaScript that aren't JavaScript (laughs) at all. Right. So there's, there's many different faces of JavaScript. In terms of the quirkiness of JavaScript and kind of the historical legacy of JavaScript, is that hard to deal with? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as a language, as someone who has done language design in the past, Mm -hmm. I definitely recognize that the historical legacy of of what you're working with can sometimes make it challenging to introduce new features right um, you know let Const is the perfect <laughs> example of that in in JavaScript
0: I still see people on Twitter going
1: <laughs> <laughs> right right and I mean in C sharp you know it's it's VAR versus explicit types like yeah. there's just there are preferences that end up happening right yeah um, but I think the other thing that's kind of an interesting, challenge in quirkiness in JavaScript is uh, creating an optimized JavaScript runtime oh, right, that that can deal with the quirkiness and the, the, yeah, make the it flexibility. Please. Well, it's not just make it fast. It's but, like JavaScript is one of the most flexible programming languages that there mm-hmm. is. And so uh, being able to preserve la- that flexibility, oh, but also opti- like optimize mm-hmm. the code that gets generated so that it runs as fast mm-hmm. as native code or as close right. as we can get, um that could be challenging,
0: yeah, make it fast and don't take away my toys right yep
1: right yeah
0: um so so how do language designers i mean if i if you were going to approach this versus maybe another language I, I mean how do you look at javascript I mean, do you still break it down by um you know tokenizing and parsing and things like that, or do you do you consider the use cases like does does that really play into the decisions you make as you're deciding okay we're we're building typescript this way versus that way?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, um, I've been working with Anders for, what, 15 mm-hmm. years, 16 years now? <laughs> um, and uh, one of the things that I've picked up from him as well as other people at, in the programming languages community at Microsoft, um, and I think that this is something that kind of just comes from the core DNA of Microsoft kind of focusing on developers, but also just the fact that we have a big focus on developer tooling Mm -hmm. is that languages should be designed with tooling in mind. Um, That's
0: interesting because usually when people talk about languages they talk about the programming experience as far as how I write my code, not the tooling.
1: Yeah, just the aesthetics of looking at the code and things like Uh that. But I think for us, when we do language design, a lot of what we think about is... Will it, can it be optimized? We definitely think about that. Um, but we also think about can we build. A tooling experience that is satisfying for you as you write the code? Can we have uh-huh. something that has good statement completion? Right. Can we, you know, do type checking and things like that? Can we identify errors? Uh-huh. You know, are we creating a ton of foot guns in the language, right? Foot guns? You've never heard the term foot guns? I don't
0: think I've heard the term.
1: It's a um, the idea that we're gonna give you a gun that you can shoot your foot with, right? Oh, yeah. Like that's oh, not yeah. a good thing, right? No, no. And we don't want to create foot guns in the yeah. in the language, right? Um, so, so that's I think probably the biggest thing that we think about is just, okay, as we do the language design itself, how do we how do we think the tooling would look? Mm-hmm. Not just how would the authoring experience be, like statement completion right. and stuff like that, but also um, the debugging experience mm-hmm. is also really important.
0: right? Yeah, essentially, what you're looking for is, how does this enable us to build tools that fit with the thought processes going on? Exactly. It's all about mental models. Yeah. Like
1: what's so cool about, about, you know, software in general and kind of programming languages and developers especially mm-hmm. is um, it's all, you know, ideas being built on top of ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so like... Every, all of it is basically how how can I build a tool like from my perspective? I work on programming languages and tools, uh-huh. developer tools. My whole you know mentality is like how can I build a better tool for you to express your idea, right? Right, and and there's somebody else who's building tools underneath me mm-hmm. that that allow me to express my ideas. So right. it's it's what turtles all the way down. Is that what the yeah? That's yeah. that's
0: how the saying goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, So, so how do you do that then? Like what, what do you put into TypeScript or your team? What does your team put into TypeScript that makes it so that the tooling can be built up the way that it is to make my development experience what I want it to be?
1: It's, it's things as, as simple as, um, uh, when we think about an expression, what order do various clauses come in? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, it, when we think about introducing new, new tokens, like token, introducing tokens is actually a huge deal because that really cr- has an effect mm-hmm. on the, on the aesthetic right. of the language itself. And you also, especially in the uh, thinking about new tokens, you have to think about what the ecosystem looks like, mm-hmm. right? Like we have JS doc or some other kind of doc system that lives on top of JavaScript, like, right. Um, or other metadata systems, attributes, Angular Mm -hmm. has their own set of um, Mm -hmm. attributes that they have on top. Like we have to think about the entire ecosystem and kind of if we're going to reserve a token or a keyword or something like that, we have to think about the ecosystem impacts of that as well.
0: Interesting. Do you have an example of, of sort of from where you start all the way up through something like Visual Studio Code where a feature or a language implementation idea comes through?
1: I'm trying to think about something specific in the TypeScript space. So I think it was with async await that mm-hmm. we were kind of trying to take some of the stuff that we had done in C-sharp and kind of bring some of that capability into mm-hmm. TypeScript. And um, and one of the things that People, a lot of people use TypeScript for is as a transpilation service, so that you can get the future of JavaScript right. now, right? Yep. Um, and so, uh, so one of the challenges that we had in the last two years or so is like, how do if if we have to compile TypeScript down to ECMAScript five? Right. Um, how is that going to work? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, the big debate that ensued with that one was. Um, uh, to do that in a way that we could compile down to, um, I think it had a dependency on generators and other things mm-hmm. like that. To do that, we actually had to uh, we had to have a two a multi phase compilation system right. in the compiler itself, and um, and so the community was kind of requesting it, but we couldn't figure out how to do it without having this multi phase. Uh, uh, compilation mm-hmm. impact and um, and with that like the impact of course is that your performance could slow down right. because you have to do multiple phases of compilation mm-hmm. so um, you know those are the kinds of trade-offs that we have to do and in the end I think we ended up doing it um, but it's you know it, it'll go away over time as mm-hmm. you know we no longer need to compile down script 5 because all of the browsers are updated but right um, but yeah, so it's, that's a that's an example of the type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I, I guess uh, you, something you said kind of triggered another question that I have, and that is, is you know, you mentioned you know the the browsers are updating, and so um, I guess the 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 minimum uh, common denominator, right? The yeah, um, that that's constantly moving. Yeah, how how does that affect the development of things like TypeScript?
1: Well, I mean that's a good example where basically like the building blocks on top of which we could work Mm -hmm. or the runtime capabilities on top of the engines that we can compile down to are evolving and it gives us more flexibility and, and, you know, ability to Mm -hmm. uh, do new things. Right. You know, uh, uh, another interesting example is like with the internationalization APIs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When we wanted to introduce, and I think we were the sponsors for it in TC39 or something like that way back in the day. I think this was probably 2010 or 2011, something like that. Um,
0: (laughs) Many, many years ago, ago, (laughs) the developer
1: years. uh, you know, JavaScript didn't. It, JavaScript was missing at that time some of the internationalization capabilities mm-hmm. that are common to other right. systems programming languages. And what that meant was that for anybody who was writing something in JavaScript mm-hmm. or in a browser context, that they would have to go and hit the server to get that capability. Right?
0: Yeah. That's, like yeah, that, that you want
1: to do a date time yeah. operation, like you have to hit the server. Oh man! Right? Isn't yeah. that kind of crazy? Yeah, that's silly. Yeah. So, um,
0: especially since it's usually just simple math, you're usually adding or subtracting, right?
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, it's not simple math. Like if you right. really want to get into the thick, no, no of, true. But this is what this is actually yeah. the kind of thing that makes it so complex. Is yeah. is it's such not simple math that we can't even enc- we don't we don't want to encode it into the runtime itself. Uh-huh. So what we want to do is basically take a dependency on an operating system API. Right. Right. And Oh yeah, so, that
0: makes a ton more sense.
1: Right. But then the interesting thing those is. Because are optimized. They should be, and they usually are. <laughs>
0: they should be. <laughs> uh,
1: but but then there there are cases in, in some cases where the operating systems don't agree on certain things like right. like date time you know, mm-hmm. uh, operations and what happens in, in certain edge cases. So, you know, we can end up in situations where we're a little bit out of sync and we kind of need mm-hmm. to think about, okay, well, here's the, where the operating system is today. Here's where it's going to be in the next version or the version after that. Right. And like, what's the right thing mm-hmm. to do for the JavaScript language, you know, assuming that the operating system will will eventually kind of support right. what we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, when I said simple math, what I was really thinking is, is it's a set of rules on how you add or subtract hours or days, and yeah, it
1: it's just you're right, it's but a complicated it's not set that set of rules. Sim- yeah. simple because because there's just a tremendous amount of complexity yeah. thinking about the time zones that you have yeah. to deal with, and then the different situations of you know you're doing some kind of a comparison and you can end up with you know different machines with different mm-hmm. values based on on how they do daytime operations, for example, right. yeah. Or translations, or you mm-hmm. know, um, um, doing uh, string string conversions to yep. different languages is another similar situation. Yep. Yeah, yeah,
0: character sets. Yeah, exactly. All kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that you're on the team that does Visual Studio and TypeScript, mm-hmm. and I think you listed like three CS or four. Yes, type- code yeah.
1: and Chakra, and yeah, right. So.
0: So how do you define a role a, a, across so many broad categories of things?
1: Well, I've been doing, you know, this kind of dev tool stuff for a long time, like 16 mm-hmm. years at this point. So, um, I have a I have a team of like, you know, 40 PMs or so mm-hmm. who who do all of these things. So, right. each one of them, you know, one of them goes to TC39 every month and his job is to make sure that JavaScript and Ecmascript you know, aligned. One right. of them works on um, node on Azure and make sure mm-hmm. that like our node implementation on Azure is exactly what everybody wants. Right. Another one works on performance in the Chakra engine and you know, mm-hmm. keeping up with the Joneses and making sure that you know we're really pushing the the edge, pushing the boundaries on JavaScript performance. Right. Um, so you know, it's it's um, it's just a big team. Mm-hmm.
0: So so what can we expect uh, in the future from both JavaScript and TypeScript?
1: Well, I mean, I think the mission of TypeScript to kind of make it possible for people to write large-scale JavaScript applications continues. Mm-hmm. We're not done. Um, so obviously, it, it does
0: make it easier, though. It does make it easier. <laughs> I will let you know that. I mean,
1: thank you. <laughs> Type checking is one aspect of it, but there's also other oh, things. Oh, there's so many like, things
0: about it, yeah. Yeah,
1: like, um, like you know, the minification, like we talked about mm-hmm. earlier, or other things like that. Like, those, we have aspirations to provide better tooling down mm-hmm. the road um, that are in totally different, you know, areas that you might think about. Um, right. That you know we not only have vs code and Visual Studio we also now have vs for Mac mm-hmm. um, and so we also want to bring the JavaScript and, and typescript language service to vs for Mac so that
0: is it not there
1: it is it's it's uh, not yet the best tooling experience so we okay. need to bring the language service experience in, into that so we're working on mm-hmm. that um, so definitely bringing it to different different experiences but the other thing is I would say we just really finished bringing the TypeScript language service to um, our code editors. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the basis for a lot of additional tooling capabilities we could add on to it. Like once you have type checking, like you can do pretty advanced refactoring experiences mm-hmm. and things like that that, that um, you know, you couldn't do with JavaScript before. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's I think what will what we'll be thinking about with TypeScript and and JavaScript over the next few years, but kind of tooling in general and VS Code and, and, you know, Visual Studio and kind of the Visual Studio family overall. Like one of the things um, I demoed today was the Visual Studio Live Share.
0: That was so cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. It was It's a lot of fun to work on. It's actually been a pretty wild ride over the last couple of months getting that done. Yeah. Um, But the idea with that is that we could collaborate on on code, Mm -hmm. you stay on your machine with your favorite editor and I stay on my machine with my favorite editor and we can, you know, Mm -hmm. collaborate on the same code and see each other's highlights and edits at the same time and even share a debug session. Nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was looking on Twitter during the keynote and, you know, tweeting about it and a few people pointed out that Adam, I guess, released something somewhat similar
1: yeah, I mean we have I've not downloaded Adam's yeah. thing yet, so mm-hmm. I can't really speak to the the detailed differences um, yeah, that but... well yet. There are a lot of similarities and in some ways it's like an awesome validation that we're, you know, that I, I believe in a punctuated yeah. equilibrium. Like this seems like validation that the time has come to enable remote collaboration across developers in the inner loop. So yeah. that that seems great. Um I, I think we have um, a debugging capability. Like we can do the mm. code debugging. I don't know that that they have that. I yet. I haven't looked at anything? it. I really don't yeah. know yet. So, but I don't know. I mean, like I, this mm. is all news to me as well.
0: Yeah, and one thing that was interesting. I agree with you on the validation point, but I mean, I, I mean, I've been a developer for like twelve years or something, and I mean, I've used Tmux and you know, and with Emacs or Vim. Yeah. To, get something like this right, but it's always a shared session. Yeah. Uh, Similarly with some of the screen sharing apps. Yeah. Uh, There was Screen Hero for a while. That's
2: right.
0: They got acquired by Slack. Apparently Slack's building it into Slack, but I haven't seen that yet. I keep dreaming. Um, But yeah, you know, the fact that... And and this is different even than that because, sure, you're sharing the code and you're sharing breakpoints and, you know, certain things about your session overall. But you work in the environment that you like being in and I'm in the environment I like being in. And, you know, the look and feel was totally different in the demo. And, you know, it's just, it's like, okay, you be productive your way. I'll be productive my way, but we can still collaborate in the way that we need to in order to understand what we're doing.
1: Right. Exactly. Right.
0: For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's one of the things that's really powerful about it. But, but even more so, it's not just that you get to bring your own settings and your own tools mm-hmm. to it, but the fact that because it's going through a remoted channel, right. like I don't even need to have the dependencies that you have for your program on right. my machine, right? If you are working on a Node mm-hmm. app but I don't even have Node installed, like I can still get...
0: Yeah, you step through it and it I, runs on my machine. Totally. Yeah,
1: yeah. so it's kind of crazy.
0: That is crazy. Um, I'm curious, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about tooling and design and TypeScript. Yeah. How does the TypeScript uh, VM or engine enable a lot of this stuff or is it completely orthogonal to...
1: It's not quite uh, orthogonal. You might think it it is entirely orthogonal. Um, uh, But actually... Ooh. So, one of the things that we do, that we've learned to do um, by working on language services for a really long time, trying to make them really good, is um, that we have pretty complex runtime compilers that mm-hmm. do things like decompilation when you make an edit. So, basically, what happens when you make an edit is like all of the dependencies that could be impacted by that edit get decompiled in the compiler. Okay. And then reconstructed back up. So, the AST gets kind of like, um, uh-huh. Uh, it regresses, and then right. it then it then it kind of um, progresses and and gets recompiled, right. And so what can happen in a co-authoring situation is both you and I could be making edits that could trigger a decompilation, mm-hmm. right? Um, you want to, you know be able to make those edits. We because of this dependencies thing, we didn't want to have to make it so that you had to replicate all of the files on your machine. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, what we had to do was to actually augment the language service so that this decompilation recompilation service mm-hmm. um, was aware that there might be multiple cursors and multiple places where there could be edits that could be happening oh, simultaneously. Yeah. So that's kind of one aspect of mm-hmm. the of the um, co authoring part of it. Right. Yeah.
0: And so all those changes then get reflected into the host machine and. Yeah, happens all there.
1: Yeah, exactly, but the language service itself right. had to be augmented to kind of deal mm-hmm. with the idea that there might be multiple edits at the same time. Interesting. Huh. Yeah.
0: That is really fun. So what what is the thing that you like best about working in the DevTool developer tooling stuff? area?
1: Um, you know, I've been working on it for a long time and, and people ask me that a lot because I've been working on it for so long that people are like, aren't you bored? Like this is the tech industry. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to move every two years. Like, why are are you you?
0: tired of developers? Yeah. (laughs)
1: And, um, I'm not like there's, um, I love working for developers. And part of the reason is they're of all of the users of software. Mm-hmm. They are some of the most enthusiastic, you know, loyal—not loyal per se—but like what I mean is they they feel passionately about the tools right. that they use, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and so in terms of getting feedback, even if it's bad, right? Like mm-hmm. you get immediate feedback. From developers whether or not you've built something good. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that having that signal from the develop from your users is pretty awesome. Like yeah. when you write software, how long does it take for your software to get, you know, validated or debugged or whatever it is by your users? Like
0: Yeah, it well, it depends. You know, yeah. if I'm building it just for me, maybe not as long, but yeah. Yeah,
1: but if you're building it for others, yeah. like it can take weeks, sometimes mm-hmm. months. And, oh, absolutely. And even when you get that feedback, it's like you know kind of,
0: I've been working around this issue for 6 well, why didn't you tell exactly, me Exactly,
1: <laughs> right? But with developers like they're going to tell you. They're oh. going to tell you immediately, right? Cuz yeah. cuz they all they all know how this works and they know yeah. that feedback is part of making a better better product. Yeah. And so that aspect is addictive, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can't imagine working for another population. Right. Um, if I left Microsoft or did something else, I would be working on developer tools. Mm-hmm. So that's one aspect that's really awesome right. about it. The other thing is just the fact that I get to work on kind of the cutting edge of technology no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Because I'm working for developers, developers are where everything starts. Right. Right? Like I was meeting with the team that's working on quantum computing a couple of weeks ago, right?
0: Dang. Yeah. So
1: like, you know, when <laughs> I come get, hang
0: out with you now.
1: <laughs> I get to do that because I work on developer tools. Right. And they need to build developer tools so that people who are going to write quantum computing Mm-hmm. quantum programs I guess right? Um, have uh, something to write it in, right? Yep. Um, so Orient that's, the it's... electric
0: field of <laughs> this subatomic <laughs> particle. That, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I mean that's the other thing. Like I can't imagine going and working on consumer software or something like that or mm-hmm. enterprise software and like you know just um, I don't know it's, it, I feel like I'm mm-hmm. in the center of the universe really.
0: That's really cool. That's really really cool.
1: Not to be you know. hmm Self-elevating that much, but but it's it's yeah, but it
0: is it's it's definitely interesting. I'm just trying to think where I want to go from here.
1: I guess the last thing is it's just it's 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 it scratches my geeky itch, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just fun. Like there's lots of cool problems in there, and oh, absolutely, yeah,
0: absolutely. One thing that I'm I'm a little curious about. You know, you have Chakra, you've got Visual Studio Code. I'm pretty sure TypeScript as well they're all open source. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Visual Studio itself is open source, but I think parts every, of it, parts but of
1: not it. not not most of it. Yeah.
0: So, um, I mean, man, I remember I got into programming and Microsoft was sort of the evil empire, right? And yep. everything was closed source and done our way. Yeah. And, and it seems like a lot of that's changed, right? It's and and I'm I I say this partially because I'm trying to get the message out because I still hear yeah. it sometimes, right? And I'm like, I'm like, this is not the Microsoft I go talk to anymore, yeah. right? The the Microsoft I go talk to, they're open source, and you know, let's make some great tools and let's let's get some great stuff out there, you know, whether it's Azure or developer tools or DevOps tools like Visual Studio Team Services or something else. Um, it's it's hey, look, you know, we we want these things to be in how you do things. Because we feel like it'll solve these issues and just get them out of your way, so you don't even have to think about them. Right. But yeah, so that the open source. How does open source impact what you do?
1: Well, I mean, this is another thing where I've I've kind of been there as Microsoft has been on the journey itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, TypeScript when we started working on it, like I said, was 2010, and we didn't launch it until 2012.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And as I mentioned, like I think the JavaScript community was not favorable towards Microsoft at that right. time. Right. Um, and so I think we had to launch it, you know, we knew that we were kind of um, launching it in an environment where, you know, the community might not be receptive to anything from Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways to kind of make it something that that fit the ethos of that community, we had to make it open source. Right. Um, so that was a struggle within Microsoft. I mean, mm-hmm. I had to, you know, work with, the powers that be to like get approval for, yeah, we're going to open source it. Mm -hmm. Like it was a big deal. It took months to convince everybody at that time that that's what we were going to do.
0: I have friends, I've talked to people that, yeah, I mean during that transition it was, we're not even sure what it means to yeah. be open source.
1: Well, and that's the other thing is like it, it took our developer team months and our, and our team mm-hmm. overall months to understand what it meant to actually work in the open, right. right? Like there's a repository. Oh my God, you mean anybody could file a bug? Wait, mm-hmm. so how quickly do I need to respond to that bug? Right. How do I respond to that bug? Like can I just, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: n- no fix, like n- no repro? Like what's, you know, what's the protocol for these open source mm-hmm. communities, right? Um, you know, codes of conduct and all of that kind of stuff that comes up. Like we just had no familiarity with it at that right. time. Um But, you know, we persisted and kind of made sure Mm -hmm. that TypeScript was available open source at that time. Um, but I mean, in contrast, like thinking about the journey that it took us to open source the chakra Mm -hmm. engine. So different, right? If you think, think about it for a second. TypeScript is a, is a transpiler. What right. it does is it takes, you know, some language that you compile, that you mm-hmm. write as a human, compiles it down to JavaScript. That's right. like an innocuous op- your operation. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's going to happen in the course of that because it still executes in the context of the JavaScript, right. uh, um, you know, sandbox and runtime. Mm-hmm. That's going to compromise your machine, right? right? Um, so it's literally innocuous, mm-hmm. right? Um and yet, it took us months to convince everybody that we were going to do that open source. Right, Chakra is our JavaScript runtime. Right, it right? runs
0: in your browser. It we hear about browser, browser vulnerabilities all the time. Yes,
1: yes. So it is. The, so it could do bad things. It could, right? And it and and the um, we made a decision that we thought it was the right thing to do to open source the Chakra engine, mm-hmm. and it took. Mm, a couple of conversations to get everybody on board. Really? Yeah. So the the transition within Microsoft is so different mm-hmm. uh, between 2012 and you know when we talked about the Chakra engine going open source, which was 2015, I think. Yeah, um, we
0: talked to Gaurav Seth? Gaurav, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. It's just so so different, like what it took, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that we are now. So much more familiar and kind of, um, I think the default at this point for developer tools is, is it's open source from mm-hmm. the beginning. Um, the only thing that, um, you know, kind of keeps us from doing that is, um, Either we're not sure of the uh, that the implementation approach is right, and mm-hmm. therefore we just don't know yet whether or not this is something that we want to, you know, continue to maintain as an open source project. Like right. it's bad if you put something out there into the open source world and you kind of don't <laughs> run with it. Um, so that's one thing. But uh-huh. the other thing is just if you, we have a huge legacy code base, then it's really challenging to make it open source.
0: I can see that.
1: If it wasn't designed with, you know, to be open source from the beginning, it's kind of hard to retrofit it to be ready.
0: Yeah. I mean I and I can see all kinds of things in there from we need to sanitize it to not, you know, put secrets out there to this really isn't set up for anybody to contribute to that's not steeped in it.
1: Right. Or yeah. two, like Easter eggs being in the source code or things yeah. like that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think we've expunged all of those, but there's source code comments <laughs> and things like that that you have to clean up. And like, yeah. there's a lot of things, um, build systems, CI mm-hmm. systems. Like, yep. like there's actually a tremendous amount that you have to think about in getting a code base prepared to be open sourced.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask this. Um, we're probably going to do another. Interview next week with uh, he's the VP of Open Source at VMware. Okay, but and I'll probably ask him this. But I'm curious. You know, you've been through this process. So if somebody works at uh, you know medium to large business and they want to champion moving toward open source, how how do they how do they go about convincing people that this is something that they the company actually wants to do and that there's some benefit to it?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, for me, in a lot of ways, it's 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 a different um, situation because my target. Audiences, developers, right, uh-huh. and there are various developer audiences that really expect open source as yeah. kind of the basis for their for anything they use. That's
0: true. We've already embraced it. as Yeah, yeah, community. exactly.
1: So it's a, I think in some ways easier for me than let's say some guy at a bank who's going to go convince his bank bosses that that he should open source a component that he is building. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I think the thing that that carries is. If you want to build something that you want to be strengthened by the community, Mm -hmm. that you think is going to end up being a broadly reusable, broadly applicable thing, but that you might not have the capacity or the business interest, the business alignment Mm -hmm. to make it as awesome as it possibly could be, but it's it's broadly applicable enough that others would want to help you further it along. Mm-hmm. That's a great candidate right. for open sourcing. I think the other thing that we found is that that um, open sourcing stuff actually it does great things for recruiting mm-hmm. uh, top developers as well because for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, it shows that you're thought leaders in the community, right. and you know, people want to work for the people who are kind of you know pushing mm-hmm. the edge. Um, but the other the other thing is oftentimes and like the Xamarin team does this they they hire people who contribute to their code bases right so like yep. you know if you build up the community then you're also building your your recruiting pipeline uh-huh. as well
0: Yeah interesting you mentioned that too I I've, I've been putting together a course for newish developers to find a job and that's that's one of the things I tell them to do is yeah. I'm like if they have repos and you want to work at that company go contribute to the repos Yeah But uh Yeah, I really like the idea, I mean, and and this is something that a lot of developers really feel strongly about is, you know what, I I want to contribute. I want to feel like I'm I'm giving back to the community, not just writing code for my employer.
1: Right, and that's one other thing that I love about working for developers is there is kind of this sense of altruism Mm -hmm. in the developer community. Like I think we are really we a lot of us at least seem to subscribe to the idea that like a rising tide lifts all boats right and that that you know i mean it's it's great that you're building something similar to me even if we're competing Mm -hmm. because it means that we're advancing the state of the art for humanity right like that's cool
0: yeah and 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 so open source is a large part of that you know that, that sort of uh, sense of social responsibility that we all have yeah. as developers.
1: Yeah, or even just contributing to each other's productivity. Yep, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, what should we expect to see next in TypeScript?
1: In TypeScript, um, I don't know. I think. I mean, I think our roadmap is is published. I I didn't I didn't take a refresher on that right before this podcast, <laughs> so I'm not not quite sure what's um, quite next on the. On the docket, but I mean, I think the thing that we're really working on is bringing the same language service to all of the Mm -hmm. Visual Studio family, um, and then kind of building on top of the basis of the TypeScript um, language service Mm -hmm. to build kind of better tooling experiences in VS Code and VS and VS for Mac. Right. Yeah.
0: Now let's say that over the last few years, somebody has corrupted me into using something like Emacs.
1: Yeah, that's where I I started. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: What What if I decide I want to integrate the TypeScript service into Emacs so that I can get the same kinds of benefits? Yeah. Where do you start with something like that?
1: Well, the TypeScript compiler and the associated language service are open source. Right. So you can just go to the you know TypeScript project in GitHub in Microsoft's GitHub you know uh, repository, and and use the language service. Directly there and mm-hmm. integrated in. But one of the things that we actually did in the launch of TypeScript is we actually um, made a language service for like Sublime Text and some mm-hmm. other editors um, on the first launch um, because we knew that's where the JavaScript developers were. So, right. um, so those still exist. And, and, you know, we have other competitive tools that use our link, lang- use the language service that Microsoft ships. And, mm-hmm. you know, from our perspective, like that's great. The more, You know, yeah. The more developers in the world that are using anything that has Mm -hmm. to do with Microsoft, like that's good for Microsoft for sure.
0: Yeah, well, and I love the idea too that you make it a little bit better. Yeah. And then I get an update to my editor, and I'm better off. You know, even though I don't have Microsoft branding on anything that I'm exactly touching. Right. When you look at the future of JavaScript, I'm Mm -hmm. curious because you know you've done the language design stuff. Yeah. I hear a lot of people saying things like. Um, you know, well, the future of JavaScript is in transpiled languages or okay. WebAssembly or, <laughs> you know, or they go yeah. and they look at some feature that, you know, somebody's champion on uh, TC39 and they're thinking to themselves, yeah, that would make things so much better. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as people kind of look, okay, what's going to come next year, the year after, the year after that, right? I, I mean, I'm thinking along the lines of some of the, some of the dust ups we had over ES6, mm-hmm. you know, or now ES7, you know, since yeah. ES6 is mostly around. Or
1: 2018, or is that what they're calling it now?
0: Yeah, yeah, they have, <laughs> they switched it to the years, it's still six and seven yeah, in yeah, my yeah. head. Yeah, I know. But uh, yeah, so, so where do you think we're going? Like, where do you think we're going with all of this?
1: Going um, with, with JavaScript? I mean, I think, I think generally we are going to uh, make JavaScript a more complete. Programming language, uh, if you compare it to other systems level programming languages, it still has gaps in some yes. areas, right? And um, well, we've
0: seen some of those get filled with like Node.js building in APIs for some of that Yeah, stuff.
1: yeah, but, for but sure. But it's
0: still missing stuff.
1: It's still missing some stuff. Um, I think we are also going towards making it easier to write larger scale JavaScript. So encapsulation and modularity and stuff like that. There's still more that can mm-hmm. be done. Um, I think we are moving towards kind of embracing the different, you know, subdomains of JavaScript and mm-hmm. making, you know, hey, it's a great experience to um, write. Super simple, you know, scripting uh, in JavaScript, and mm-hmm. it's also a great experience to write functional-based, right. functional-looking programming mm-hmm. in JavaScript. Um, you know, Webasm, Like, certainly, it's not mm-hmm. less necessarily a JavaScript language thing, but right. for, as a runtime, like, certainly, it is the most ubiquitous runtime out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's only sensible that that people start looking at what it would take to kind of, uh, you know, be able to compile it down to native performance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, so I definitely, I, obviously we're going to go in all of those directions. But I mean, I think in a lot of ways, like one of the things that's the most interesting... That's happening right now is that that the complexity of the software that we're building nowadays mm-hmm. is obviously you oh, know the, yeah. so com- so much more complex mm-hmm. than it ever has been before.
0: And we're putting it more in places too. I mean, we're yeah. talking mobile, IoT,
1: VR, uh, AR. Yeah. Like, and so what? Both on the
0: web and on hardware. That's yeah. just Running Node.js. I mean, mm-hmm. it's
1: it's crazy. It's right? everywhere. Yeah. And so, like, when you start to think about those types of applications that have to end up getting built, mm-hmm. it's very natural to start thinking about it as there is a native app that's the runtime of the kind of world that you're building, mm-hmm. but then you can script that. So this might be more similar to the original inception of JavaScript or to uh, scripting in, uh-huh. in, in gaming. That's right. kind of a lot of people do with Lua. I could definitely see us going in those directions. I think the other thing that's going to start happening is the idea of having like an XE or some kind of like app that's can, that's made up of this XE or some kind of like single file that is some binary representation of the app that mm-hmm. you need to run. I think that that will probably disintegrate over time. I right. think that the... Um, it's going to be more likely that you will write very very kind of independent small pieces similar mm-hmm. to how we're thinking about microservices right. and things like that um but even on the client side you could just write an actor that is you know
2: that mm-hmm. that'd be really
1: existing in a world right like i was having a conversation with someone on the bus the other day who's working on ar and vr mm-hmm. and and he was just like yeah you know if you think about a three-dimensional object in space that you can interact with like that's not a program that's <laughs> right that's that's like a body of code mm-hmm. that's interesting yeah
0: that's really interesting and yeah just thinking about it in terms of you know do we have sort of you know we we, we talked about or in the keynote you know they shut off some of the container stuff and you yeah. know, so it's just micro containers of the small pieces that yes, i need to make exactly. my program run on your computer and neither of us really think about that
1: yes yeah, but also serverless is another mm-hmm. huge thing. Oh, yeah. That huge that that is also yeah. another note. It's it's the same kind of you know taking the idea of a program out mm-hmm. and kind of making everything scripting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah and you know, I mean,
1: no matter uh, what programming language
0: you're writing in. Yeah, I mean, I've done it in JavaScript. I've done it on AWS Lambda and Azure Functions. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, just the idea of I need this really simple thing done. Here's my data. Right done, right. done, 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 done. You know, and it's just so nice. And, and you know, yeah, just all these little pieces that yep. move move things out of our way so we can focus on the big picture.
1: Right, right, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but with that, also DevOps becomes mm-hmm. this really big challenge. Yes. Because then you have like all these little tiny programs that are kind of interacting with each other if, that are deployed to different spots. Like how mm-hmm. do you deal with that? That's That's a big challenge. So we'll need to think about that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But it seems like a lot of that is getting easier as well.
1: Definitely. No question. I mean, I think that that we are evolving as an industry, like our mm-hmm. practice on on CI and CD and how that works. Yeah. Um, but even more so, like in the microservices space, I think we're evolving the idea of like, how do we think about the difference between dev versus test versus prod? How do we think about having isolation? Between the service that you write and the service that I write, mm-hmm. um, how do we think? And and this is an interesting space where like something like Live Share is actually super yeah. interesting because if you're building a microservice and you have a set of dependencies for building your microservice, and I'm building my microservice, mm-hmm. and both of us are testing against some kind of a you know dev stage, um, but we don't actually have enlistments in each other's services. Right. But I still want to get feedback from you. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Do I have to go get a clone of your code? Oh, interesting. Or could we just have a real-time conversation Mm -hmm. over the code? Right. Right. Like, so I don't know how this is going to work yet. I'm really interested to see. Well, and
0: it's funny too because it seems like as we solve one problem, then it's like you know, it's like okay, well now we're up a level, and we've got a new playing field to work with.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, um, we're almost out of time. One of the things that we do at the end of our shows is a segment called Picks. Okay. And I don't know if you've listened to like uh, This Week in Tech or anything like that, but they do picks and so they just talk about stuff that they like at the end of the show. Yeah. And it's been interesting at build and ignite and connect just to see what people are thinking about these days, you know, whether it's, well, I really like this TV show or, or, you know, there's this coding tool that I've just been really into these days or a set of videos on YouTube or something. So, so what are two or three things that have just been kind of making your life better these days? I mean, it can be chocolate, it it can be coding, (laughs) I, you know, whatever. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at Lino.com slash javascriptjabber.
1: Well, I am very excited about the Visual Studio Live Share thing that I demoed today. So I'm really curious to see how people use it. And I think as we get it more robust, like, I'm I'm really anxious to use mm-hmm. it myself. Yeah, I'm um, probably
0: going to dig into that a little bit more with Chris Dias here. Oh, in cool. Or okay, so, so.
1: awesome. So that's definitely one thing. You know, I think one of the things that I've been really enamored with and mm-hmm. trying to kind of learn more about is... There, there seems to be a um, a growth of a whole bunch of online learning communities,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and I'm really trying to figure out like what is the way that the next generation is going to learn everything really like yeah. not just computer science but but math and things mm-hmm. like that. I um I didn't come to this conference last year because I had a baby,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so one of the things that I wanted to do kind of you know I don't know if you have kids but. Um, you wow. have five. Wow. Holy cow. Um, well, <laughs> I don't know if you've had this thought, but I've had the thought that like you kind of want to do science experiments on your kids sometimes, right? Do <laughs> <laughs> you I never feel that dip. way? I've, uh, I've never done that
0: <laughs> ever.
1: But I would love to think about how I could get my kids to be literate in in math and science and kind of like spatial relationships mm-hmm. at the youngest possible age. Interesting. Like, what could you you know if you think mm-hmm. about the everybody sees a touch you know mm-hmm. phone and they know how to pinch and zoom and like mm-hmm. press on things like you know you've seen that video of the two year old that's like trying to pinch and pinch and zoom on a magazine and it's like mm-hmm. why doesn't this work? Um, yeah, like,
0: my, my two-year-old is friends with my iPad.
1: Yeah, like what? What does it mean to have intrinsic, like from the get-go? You learn language. Mm-hmm. There is something that is basic in mm-hmm. your first few years about learning how you speak, mm-hmm. and it's in it's it. There is something. Um, uh, what's the word? What do you call it when you instinctual about mm-hmm. it about the way that you learn language? Yeah, how like. What is that for, for math?
0: That's interesting.
1: Or for the scientific method.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting too because we're seeing, I mean, in some ways you see, you know, like governments tightening control over education. Yeah. But then on the internet you see this wild democratization of it with like Khan Academy. And yeah, things. exactly. And... Man, I don't have another hour to sit here
2: and
1: talk <laughs> about this. But,
0: you know, it's really interesting. I mean, my 11-year-old has ADHD yeah. fairly severely, I mean, to the point where we pulled him out of school and he's being homeschooled. Okay. And, um, you know, he does a lot of these programs on online. Yeah. And, you know, my wife or I will find resources for him to to learn. Yeah. And, you know, it for him, yeah, it it almost has to be instinctual or he won't sit through it. Yeah. And... You know, I mean, he's still eleven, he's almost twelve, but still, yeah. you know, it, it just has to kind of hit him at that level. Yeah. Just because the way he is. And yeah, I mean, how does that change? Yeah. You know, and, and the way that we experience the world in general. I mean, my two-year-old, well, she'll be two next week on Thanksgiving, but I mean, she she yells at the echo, Lexa. I mean, yeah. It, it doesn't always recognize what she's saying, yeah. but Lexa, play this song, or yeah. you know, things like that. And And it's like, it's like, you know, yeah, how do we, how do we put things in front of them so that they, they kind of instinctually understand, you know, yeah, Yeah. mathematical or scientific or, um, social, you know, like,
1: and it's, it's, there's definitely a trade off here, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, you don't want your kids to be addicted to the, to the iPad or the Echo or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but, um, but you do want them to be native. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so, yeah,
0: how do we make it so easy like the Echo, right? Yeah. Well, my two-year-old just knows. Or yeah. if she wants to scroll something on the iPad, she just,
1: yeah. you know. totally gets it. Yeah, yeah. That's so, interesting. Yeah, so that's what I've been trying to figure out.
0: Well, when you figure it out, let me know. <laughs>
1: I will let you know. <laughs> Definitely will.
0: Nice. Well, I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. I mean, one of them, just from the keynote, I mean, I'm just, I'm so excited to try out the Visual Studio live that's sharing. Sure. Cool. Um. If you don't know what it is, I I was tweeting about it all day. So awesome. you know, go back to uh, November, what is it, 14th, 15th um, on my Twitter feed and you'll see like this wall of tweets. <laughs> um, definitely check it out. Is there a URL for that?
1: AKA.ms slash VS Live Share. Awesome.
0: And uh, do you have to get the preview version of Visual Studio? So,
1: actually, so right now, all you can do is give us your email address and then we'll let you know as soon as the bits are available, which should be really soon, (laughs) but they're not yet there. Um,
0: I hate you until they're available.
1: (laughs) When that happens, there will be a point at which we will, you'll have to have the VS Code insiders build Mm -hmm. to play with them, but you know, that. Like installing the insiders build works side by side with the stable build, right. um, so there really should be no impact uh, in yeah. terms of like risk to your machine. Yeah. yeah,
0: but that was really really exciting. And then the other thing I'm going to pick, and this was also from the keynote, yeah, is the AI school. Yeah, that that they were talking about. Um,
1: yeah, and we also have Visual Studio tools for AI as well that we just introduced as well. Yeah, so that's another super interesting topic. Is just like what does DevOps look like for AI? Like yeah. that's just fascinating if you think about the models that you're well, building and stuff. Well, it kind of yeah. come
0: full circle so that my AI figures out how to deploy my app, right? Right,
1: sure, yeah. That's actually another thing that I'm really interested in right now is like how can AI elevate your programming experiences? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Can it again, can it move these little pieces off so I can just focus on the big picture stuff right. that I care about?
1: Right, exactly.
0: All right, well, I know somebody else is yep. going to be coming into this room soon. Cool. Uh,
1: thank okay. you, Amanda. Yeah, thank you. All
0: right, well, we will go ahead and wrap this up. Can you just share really quickly, do you have a blog or Twitter or GitHub? My, my
1: Twitter is uh, Amanda K Silver. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the best place to pick up anything that I do in terms of a blog or GitHub or things like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, sounds cool. good. Thanks. Well, thanks again. All right, adios. Bye